I use buses um, a lot, but I never see anybody like me on them, if you see what I mean. Welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast, the place for free-thinking ideas in transport and mobility. My name is Thomas Abelman, and each week I'll bring you fresh voices, new ideas, and unconventional thinking. So let's get started now with this week's edition of the Freewheeling Podcast. My guest this week is the closest thing that the travel industry has to a national treasure. He's been watching over the world of transport since I was a schoolboy, and he's the man the nation turns to when they want our somewhat opaque world demystified. And he is, of course, Simon Calder, the travel editor of The Independent. Simon, welcome to the Freewheeling Podcast. Uh, thank you, Thomas. Um, I, I feel sometimes that I am unwillingly and un- unwittingly adopting the voice of travel doom. Um, but I can only imagine that that's because there is this sort of void of um, particularly anybody in officialdom who is prepared to say what's going on. And even though I, I am just a journalist, um, I do try to keep an eye on what's happening and um, at, at least let a long-suffering um, UK traveller know and obviously try and keep them abreast of um, important changes whether I succeed or not not for me to say but if you ask me to sum it up in a sentence great people trying to make the most of a hugely constrained transport network while uh, one government after another tries to make their life near impossible well I counted before we started this do you realize that you have now outlasted 15 transport secretaries in the time you've been doing your job and that's absolutely remarkable of those uh transport secretaries there's only two who i can genuinely say i have engaged with and and talked to and who genuinely genuinely interested in in what perhaps somebody representing the consumer might might offer um do you want to guess who they were would that be would that be fun? Oh, that's a challenge. At least one of them is in is a guest of yours. Ah, oh, well, that helps no end. So we also have Andrew Adonis on this series. I, I suspect strongly he is one, and to be honest, he is someone I would have guessed anyway. I invited Andrew on because he's the the one transport secretary I can think of in my time who has really cared about the brief. Um, so who are the others? No, no, there's only one other. Only one other. Um, I'm going to I'm going to seek a clue. Is he before or after um, Lord Adonis? Uh, after. So the one I would probably guess is Patrick McLaughlin. Absolutely, yes. I'm really, really interested in the the brief as well. I would say, as uh, to be to be fair, probably um, uh, uh, as absorbed as um, Andrew Adonis. I mean, uh, and desperately, desperately interested in the detail. You know, he's he, first of all he he invited. Uh, dialogue and secondly he'd be just just to say oh it's just amazing over the weekend network rail engineers did this thing to this tunnel and as a result of that we're going to get you know one percent extra capacity and two percent improvement in speed on this particular part of the line and really really uh in um you know, really watched the detail, but but still had a wider brief. So yes, those those two and the rest. Well, um, let me think. Um, maybe if I if I can just um, how how would I sum up uh, our current transport secretary, Greg Shapps? Grant Shapps. <laughs> uh, uh, that that was absolutely not a Freudian thing. I mean, I, I type his name probably six times a day. Um, uh, never had so many dealings with the uh, with the government. Uh, yeah, um, he he 
you know, he, he's, a, I believe, a, a qualified pilot. Um, he, so he's very, very interested, particularly in aviation. But um, uh, increasingly, I think the the only man in, in uh, that I, I can tell you who the next transport secretary will be, assuming that um, Mr. Shapps has the typical duration of it, and that will probably be Hugh Merriman. Um, the chair of the Transport Select Committee, who most definitely does care about it and knows an awful lot about it. And I think if we had a different prime minister and a different, uh, how can I put it, level of confidence, competence um, in government, uh, I, I think Hugh would be uh, there with us. But there's a fascinating question there. I mean, you, you've been watching this industry for such a long period of time. How, how important is government in it and the, and the decisions they make? And are they, are they a help or a hinder to what we do? Well, look, I'm going to answer that by, say, by, by looking at individual sectors, okay? So um, in terms of aviation, uh, absolutely they the the, the the airline industry has always taken the view right you can regulate us with the civil aviation authority but everything else we're just going to get on with it and as a result we have had had i i've put this in the past uh, absolutely the best aviation industry in the world bar none uh so going to the 2020 in january we had um uh the, the most competitive, the best run, the most successful airlines in the shape of EasyJet, um, British Airways, part of IAG, of course, and uh, Ryanair, um, the uh, obviously an Irish airline, but its main main base for business was was the UK. It had very successful competing airline airports like uh, uh, Gatwick, Stansted, uh, Heathrow, um, and it was doing really well. Uh, obviously now in utter disarray, partly because of successive government decisions. Um, with the railways, well, if you if you can count the low point as being about 1995, um, the, the point of privatisation, of course, uh, and many proponents of privatisation say that the fact that passenger numbers, again, until 2020, had basically doubled was entirely due to uh, privatisation. I would disagree with that. Um, but uh, that that was a sort of uh, corner turned from the principle of managed decline. How much of that was deliberate government policy, I do not know. Certainly the Labour government of 1997 to 2010 wasn't outstanding in its um, uh, vision, although to be fair, Andrew Adonis was the champion of HS2 um, during during his tenure. Um, and since then, partly, I think, to harness the green agenda, the uh, first of all, the coalition, then the um, uh, current government have, have very much kind of backed the railways. But uh, that was at a time when it was easy to do so because you had rising revenue. Um, you'd already had the kind of shift in in um, uh, in the uh, business model to kind of user pays. So that that was all helping. And and while while it was all rising, things were going very well. Now, of course, we're seeing what ten billion pounds put pumped into the railways entirely to run empty trains. Um, and there's going to be payback time. It's going to be horrible when it happens. And that will be because 
governments and to be fair um local regional transport operators have said we need to run empty trains to exactly the schedule that we were running them uh, before the pandemic or you know let's let's shave off 20% here or there so that each traveler can have a carriage to themselves that will that will save us um and it certainly won't and i'm i'm kind of braced for the pain that the traveler will feel we're just getting a tiny tiny inkling of that starting in march with um rpi plus 1 fares and that when we're on to the subject of fares uh, it, i i think one of the many enduring uh scandals of the uh, current administration will be that they did not seize the opportunity of effectively demand for rail collapsing completely um the inevitability that there's going to have to be a completely new model which won't involve people commuting from winchester to waterloo and paying five thousand pounds a year in order to kind of cross subsidize uh, rural trains in wales um which uh, nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's it's simply not sustainable. And they just didn't say, okay, baked in fares from privatisation, they are utter rubbish. Let us completely redraw the map. We're never going to have another opportunity like this. There will be zero political resistance. And they have decided, no, we're not going to do that at all. Um, and I think that that is um, to their enduring shame. And if we can pick up on, I think, probably the most underrepresented um, part of the, the uh, transport industry, which is uh, bus and coach operators, or they're the least heard about, um, providing fabulous service, great professionalism, um, which is so rarely recognised. And um, I, th I think they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're largely ignored um, with... Clearly, there's 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 you know, sort of decent amounts of cash going towards local operators, but um, uh, it's again almost uh, that kind of by accident the UK has in the shape of uh, National Express, a clearly uh, long established operator, and Megabus, a reasonably good um, uh, 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 competitive. Uh, situation which the government has done nothing to to encourage, I must say. And um, if I may also, as a loyal customer of your own enterprise, snap, <laughs> um, say that uh, it, you know, I, I, I have, well, as you will know, done what I can to champion um, this great, uh, great notion of, of using spare capacity and uh, technology. Um, and it, it will eventually be recognized as as a really important um uh part of the um, transport infrastructure but um i i that i i think sadly it may come about because the trains being in such disarray and the cuts um will will, will be deep and and painful and um uh maybe that is when things like snap and indeed um oh i th i think some form of, of vaguely organized hitchhiking at the start of 2020 i basically tweeted whatever your travel transport opportunities you've never had such wide horizons such um uh, great value such uh fantastic safety go and make the most of it um 
I haven't tweeted anything at the start of 2021 because um, it's all rather too depressing. And clearly um, uh, the, the self-harm wrought by Brexit is uh, is also going to damage transport um, by, by dint of um, uh, the economic harm it will cause. So jump, you know, get your crystal ball out. Um, you talked about the pain that you think that rail will suffer once this is all over and money has to be made good. What if you looked into the world of 2025? What do you expect to see? Oh well, uh, what the, the, I, I've been I've criticised during 2020 the ludicrous waste of resources, of rolling stock, of um, uh, staff um, in in running effectively there's a wonderful pair of trains which one of which is cross country one of which is lner which each evening they set off within um two minutes of each other um and go to edinburgh where they arrive within five minutes of each other having served the same stops and the following morning they do exactly the same thing in reverse. Now, that's a, a ludicrous uh, situation, which clearly should have been addressed many years ago when they had a perfect opportunity. Um, I, I fear that we will not see that sort of obvious uh, waste, because uh, obviously even uh, without coronavirus, there, there was only you know, 10% occupancy on one train, 10% on another, and you could have got the uh, squeezed everybody in at York, um, and and that would have been more meaningful. Um, I think it will just it it, it will be um, the cuts will be in frequency. Now we're already going to see we've already seen on the West Coast Main Line the um, uh, Manchester and Birmingham services come down from three an hour till two, and I assume that the timetables will be recast in order to make that fairly permanent um if you go back to 2019 my goodness the east coast main line was looking great uh like 25 trains a day edinburgh london absolutely fantastic exactly what we should be doing in terms of uh, moving people away from um, aviation and that will probably roughly halve um and critics of uh, people who don't like um, paying for public transport, which is most people, um, you know, why should why should um, middle class rail travellers be subsidised by um, motoring um, uh, workers who never go near a train? Uh, they'll say absolutely right. Yeah, why 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 would you, you know, why do you have to have trains every half hour? Uh, once an hour will be fine, and that they're still only a quarter full. Um, that's also going to be fed by the uh, shocking um, narrative put out by government um, and to some extent local transport operators about how dangerous trains are. Um, I present to you my 90-year-old grandmother as an example, clearly um, uh, very much in the um, uh, risk group for coronavirus but somebody who uh, likes when possible to travel to London and she would rather spend three hours in a taxi driven by somebody whose health record she knows nothing of rather than spending 
80 minutes on a train where I have said, uh, Pauline, I will buy you a first class ticket. Um, I will even um, come along and, and make sure that you are absolutely looked after and, and she simply won't and and that is because this narrative has been all oh, public transport oh i don't know if i would risk that go and stay in your cars everybody um it is creating horrible horrible um uh behaviors and uh, the the only um uh question is how how deep the damage will go and how long it will take um for people to be confident about um, traveling by train again. But uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty awful. We, we will be, in terms of aviation, weakened by Brexit and the damage that that's going to cause to the airlines. And, um, yeah, all I can hope is that, uh, yeah, well, let's harness technology in order to do what you've always been trying to do, which is to maximize occupancy um, and to minimize uh, cars on the road. So there we are. So, so if you're a railway manager listening to this and yeah. you've got the government wanting its 10 billion back, you've got yeah. this messaging that's been pumped out for the last nine months and is going to carry on probably for the next three, four, five, however long. What what would you be saying that the rail industry needs to do in order to, let's assume we don't want frequencies to be slashed and people to start driving for the rest of their lives. What what would you say that needs to be done differently to make to, to that? Uh, technology has to improve the distribution it has to um and this will actually have a side effect in in increasing um uh or reducing concern if, if all tickets are e-tickets um so you you have to be looking at ways of, of, of cutting costs and that's a good way to do it a clearly um intelligent pricing which could have happened had they uh, decided they were going to look at all the um uh uh, 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 ticketing and, and fares in one go would have helped. But you, you, you are going to have to cut costs and you are going to have to look coherently at systems where you have got, uh, and given, particularly given that, that every, every train running uh, in the UK more or less these days is, uh, 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 crikey, I, I feel for the open access officer operators like uh, uh, Grand Central and Hull Trains, but everyone else is basically just a servant of the government, um, and heads have to be banged together. And if you know, a BR, uh, oh, there we are. That was, that, that was another Freudian slip. A BR manager can see that you've got this incredible wastage of um, of resources. Then you have to put your hand up and say. We, we shouldn't be running that train. We should be combining these. And, yeah, it's going to be you know, 5% more inconvenient for some passengers. Well, I'm afraid you've got to tolerate that. I, I, I just get so sad when I see uh, York Station which should be absolutely this wonderful um, uh, flow of humanity, just completely empty. Uh, Waterloo Station, where I uh, my nearest BR station, in fact, uh, I remember New Year's Eve, Friday morning, eight o'clock, nobody, just no, nobody coming in, nobody going out, staff outnumbering a handful of passengers. And uh, so, so, so revenue has, has fallen almost to zero. 
you're going to have to make some pretty deep cuts. And the way to do that is to do it intelligently rather than the government just coming in um, with sharp elbows, just saying, right, OK, oh, we can save a billion here, uh, 500 million there. Um, just do it and um, uh, we'll cause cause lasting damage. Um, and of course, uh, HS2, well, what's going to happen particularly to the um, eastern half of the Y uh, that's a wonderfully easy thing for governments to um, to cut back to um, satisfy uh, backbenchers to trim million, billions. Um, it's yeah, uh, it, it it's tough, awful. I'm I'm very glad I'm I'm only talking about this rather than actually having to do stuff. Do you the bus market? I find interesting because it sort of it feels like it's structured more like the the aviation market in the sense that you know, people can run whatever they want where they want to run it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have these huge government constraints outside outside London. As, uh, the, the, the local bus businesses are all, are all independent businesses able to make their own decisions. Um, but you haven't seen the level of growth you've seen in aviation. And it, indeed, it's kind of defaulted down to local monopolies. Mm-hmm. If you go yeah. to most cities, you don't have much option as to what bus you travel on. Um, but of course, if you look at the the rail alternative, then you end up with government making every decision on everything yeah. and even and they even you know, we have conservative governments that you think wouldn't intend to, they end up sucking up more and more and more control into Whitehall about mm. everything. So what's the what's the right way to to run something like buses in your view? Oh, uh, to work out what you want them to do. Um, obviously. And is, is that to entice people out of cars? Is it to increase the mobility of disadvantaged uh, parts of society? Um, is it uh, simply to improve the economic efficiency of, of um, your, your locality? And I think you know, clearly all three of those are um, very desirable um, aims. Um but what the, the reason things aren't functioning is that you you had in or oh, sorry they're not that they haven't yeah you know, this hasn't turned into this uh, incredibly successful aviation industry is because actually what uh, what was happening in aviation was a huge amount of excess profits were effectively being made by the airlines in fact to be fair they weren't excess profits because they were so incredibly inefficient but there was an awful lot of uh cash um uh, swirling around because they were charging a huge amount of um cash and as soon as you liberalize things then the difference between you know, the, the 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 100 pounds that british airways or indeed british midland wanted to take you between london and glasgow it was easy to show that um actually a reasonable price for that was about you know, 30 40 pounds um and and so therefore anybody coming in um and, and just saying we're going to charge a an economic price for a, for a, a, a well-run service was going to succeed that's an awful lot more difficult to do in the context of local buses and i i i use buses um a lot but i never see anybody like me on them if you see what i mean you know middle-aged Middle class male working person. Um, I uh, and and that I think is 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 a problem because I presume other people like me are driving around in um, in, in BMWs. Is that what people drive? I don't know. Um, or or uh, uh, Teslas or 
um, Toyota Priuses or whatever you want to drive around in, but you're not on a bus. Um, and quite often I think you should be. And that's a kind of societal switch, which wouldn't be incentivized so much by cost, but could be by, if, if you made, um, uh, bus is far more free-flowing if you prioritize them much more than you do at the moment um you know bus lanes exist but they are uh, as soon as anything tricky happens they come to a halt and so does yeah. so, so do the uh, 50 well, i was going to say 50 bus passengers ha 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 the three people on board the um uh the number 68 bus going north from here to hampstead heath yeah, absolutely. No, and it's one of the things that I find quite interesting. I mean, you, you talked there about aviation and how the fact that actually it's structurally very profitable enabled this huge growth and dynamism that we've benefited from. Um, and one of the things I find quite interesting is actually whether the government should do more, not necessarily to decide everything in the world of buses, because we've seen where that plays out in the world of railways, but just to make it easier for bus companies to be profitable and therefore to generate the ability for them to invest and grow, because th that might create a virtuous circle that we don't currently have. But, but uh, well, you, you're going to have to tell me now, Thomas, how you're going to do that, because um, I'm looking at good, well-run um, uh, companies, uh, first group, um, stagecoach, uh, go ahead, etc., all of whom are, you know, they're not certainly not making excess profits. They're, 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 they're all well-run. They, they, um, and I don't know what government could do uh, to 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 kind of liberate them to deregulate to to enhance competition i mean they 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 at the moment it's it's a although you are talking of billions of journeys each year the value of each journey is low um and yeah i i want some way of of getting the uh getting the load factor up towards aviation levels and of course you know part of the success of easyjet and ryanair has been again in normal times um filling 95 percent of of seats you tried doing that on a on a local bus uh service um or indeed on on any kind of train outside what we used to call rush hours if you remember them <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean one of the things that yeah i'm quite hopeful for but it's obviously a very very long way to go is that we might now start to be getting towards a world in which road pricing starts to become credible yeah, yeah. It, it, it was an idea kind of poisoned by john prescott and the m4 bus lane but that <laughs> could be the game changer for local buses it feels to me uh yes i mean that that but but it needs to be really really well structured and um and oh, gosh this sounds terrible punitive yeah, you know, if you do want to, ex uh, I, I, uh, you, you're not hearing much trans much traffic going past here, partly because we're in tier four. But I live on a very busy A road, and the moment um, that that uh, the congestion charge uh, came into effect, and I'm within the congestion charge zone, um, traffic halved, reduced by 60, 70 percent, maybe, and it simply hasn't come back. And uh, that you know, was was seen very much as as punitive. But I think with road pricing, you've got to do it intelligently, and you've got to do it at meaningful levels. It's not sufficient to say, um, "Oh, Thomas, we see you drove drove from 
Swindon to Oxford, that'll be 37 pence. Um, it, you know, it needs to be five quid uh, or something so that it's actually going to play a significant part in your, um, in your, in your driving choices. But I don't know, do you know anywhere in the world where they've done road pricing in a, uh, a, a, a sensible and effective way, as opposed to just kind of, you know, effectively taxing motorists a bit more uh, as a revenue 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 raising exercise rather than a behaviour uh, changing. Uh, no, but it, but we do now have the technology which we didn't mm. have even comparatively recently, and of course, no no main major cities had done it until the congestion charge in London, where, where you live, and the world didn't fall in. And the political repercussions weren't that great, and it was okay. And yeah, I'm I'm fi- I'm quite interested by these protests at low traffic neighbourhoods that we're seeing at the moment because <laughs> I live in one of the very first. Mm. And the the protests around here in 2016, you know, we we our neighbourhood was torn apart by Brexit and by the low traffic neighbourhood, um, and we had people you know carrying coffins down the high street to protest at the destruction. Of, of, of the neighborhood because of this low traffic area and it's now fine and no one cares and it's all fine so sometimes you ca- these things you can just get past them but i don't know i don't know if we have the political will which takes us back to transport secretaries what would be if you if you had a magic wand and you could wave it to change anything about the world of uk based not let us not international but uk based transport and mobility what were the things you'd love to change oh i i, I wouldn't even need a a, a... A magic wand you just want to um uh, maybe go across to germany which has many, many faults in its transport network in particular the punctuality of trains i find is is actually uh less good at the moment than the uk but just in terms of meshing transport modes together um in terms of a, a, a coherent system that makes it possible for 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 people to think oh actually i can have a straightforward journey from my home in bath to the station to uh paddington in london and onwards to my destination and that will be um not just easy but it will be pleasurable it will be of course safe and and goodness we we haven't even touched on safety um but yeah i'd I'd like i'd like to see far fewer people driving um, and far more people using public transport, and you have to do that on a you know, with a bit of carrot in the form of good services at reasonable prices and sticks in the form of um, you're really not helping by driving your gas guzzling um, BMW. Sorry, many other cars are available um, <laughs> into into city centres, and um, if you insist on doing that, well, you know, it's a free country. Um, uh but uh but, but you're gonna have to pay for that um that opportunity yeah you and i can keep keep nagging away at um at uh politicians to say look please that i i am I'm, I'm coming to you not with it because uh, of course every industry including uh rail bus air and everything is going to the government constantly just saying we need special treatment because of our circumstances and look at all these uh, great people who work for us and look at all these people who need our services but you and i want to go there and just say tell you what why don't you, you know, it would be to everybody's long-term benefit if you address the fair system if you looked at road pricing um 
to to uh, benefit society, but there is simply no interest in it at the moment. Um, this is a government that is obsessed, I think, primarily with. Uh, well, I guess they've got Brexit done now, haven't they? Um, and uh, it will be interesting to see how uh, how how things. Um, develop over the next few months since there will no longer be a um a, a kind of big focus and a big enemy in the shape of um of of uh, the eu although i dare say that will continue to be so um so i i will continue to say what i think is a a good outcome for the traveler and for society but uh don't expect to get much of a listen i'm afraid well, I'm going to end on an uplifting question. So you have been doing this for 27 years now. I don't know if you keep count of how many journeys you've done in that time, but what's the best journey you've done in those 27 years? Oh, well, gosh, um, that, that's that's easy. And uh, it's a form of transport that um, uh, we haven't really touched on. Um, I, in 2019, in beautiful sunny day, uh, flew from Gatwick to Inverness because it was obviously far cheaper, far easier, far quicker than going by train, regrettably. Um, I stepped off the plane. I had to go to the absolute far end of the Isle of Skye. I've no idea, frankly, how you would make that journey by public transport on a Saturday afternoon. Um, uh, I couldn't find any solution, so I just started hitching and... Um, uh, in two lifts was delivered after the most fantastic journey sitting in these beautiful BMW cars um, uh, watching um, th this uh, amazing landscape unroll um, very friendly self-selecting people so yeah hitchhiking and then I had a great uh, great bus ride down the Ionian coast of Greece as well in October in one of those little windows where you could actually go traveling. Fantastic. As it happens, by the way, I have got a public transport from Inverness to the very far side of the Isle of Skye. And I, I remember it well because there was a, a bus um, which I boarded um, and it turned out, I'm, I'm not a football fan, to be the middle of an England-Scottish international which was being played on the radio at the time. And as I bought my ticket from the driver, I suddenly became very conscious of my accent. Ah, okay. Yes. Very good. Very good. I wonder what the score was. How long did it take and what, how much did it cost? Um, I can't remember, but it took a while. But in Scot through the Scottish scenery, you don't really mind. <sighs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. That was absolutely fantastic. Thank you very, very much indeed. Great pleasure, Thomas. And thank you for what you do for the travel industry. I uh, look forward to, to your next success. So there we go. Thank you very much to Simon Calder for joining us and thank you to you for joining us. Next week, I'm joined by Alex Hornby, the CEO of Transdev UK. The Freewheeling podcast is new, so if you get a chance to rate and review, that would be really appreciated and I'd love to get your feedback. You can drop me an email at thomas at thomasableman.com or you can contact me on Twitter or the other social channels. My handle is thomasableman and I'd love to hear your feedback. What do you like? Who do you like me to talk to? Is there anything you'd like to be different? But in the meantime, goodbye and thank you for joining us for the Freewheeling Podcast.